And so I will be preaching for you and reading for you here out of Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 to 10. Hear now the word of God. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taking pleasure in sacrifice and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this body. As the disciples saw Jesus Christ's body transfigured into glory, we see that they had seen him in his human state, and glorified state. And we here rely on the fact that Jesus was incarnate and lived and died and rose again. And our prayers now and even our understanding and the grace and mercy for you to dwell with us now is because he is with you, beside you, interceding on our behalf. What an amazing glorious thought. Father, help us as the Lord Jesus Christ intercedes for us. May it be that his declarations that we would not only receive mercy, but that we would receive knowledge and understanding even this day as he has employed the Holy Spirit to write the law upon our hearts, to write understanding upon our hearts and minds. May we now, Father, Receive the blessing and promise of knowing your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. There are things about this particular passage that are fascinating surface highlights that as you go and you may, many of you as you prepare for worship may go read these passages beforehand and you will see if you're like one of those people who like to do cross references, you will see that what this particular passage is quoting is Psalm 40. And if you flip over to Psalm 40, you will know that this is a Psalm of David. And so very quickly as we see the writer of Hebrews make this proclamation, you will see a particular fascinating thing that the writer of Hebrews, number one, says that Christ says these particular things. Now, we know that Jesus Christ quoted from the Psalms more than any other Old Testament book, and in particular that the Psalms were about him primarily, and he owned the Psalms, and he took the Psalms, and there's this wonderful merger 
of Jesus owning the Psalms that David was actually a shadow of, only a frail and weak shadow of, of this perfect Messiah. We see here, consequently, when Christ came into the world, and that Greek Hebrew That Greek word for world means sinful world, the dark world. That when he came into this world of sin, Jesus said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. Points out right off the bat that these sacrifices that we see even the writer of Hebrews making a very clear point of, that these were things that were proclaimed in the law. These were things that God had commanded. Jesus comes and says, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. So he connects himself to the words of David, which were always pointing to him again. And we see that these words are Christ's words. Secondly, we see if you go and you do that cross-referencing, it says, but a body you have prepared for me. You will see that there is this interesting thing in Psalm 40. It does not say body. It says an opened ear. You have prepared an open ear. Now, keep in mind, David is the one who is the one saying the psalm in Psalm 40. But the interesting thing, and this is a mystery for all commentators, is that the word for ear and the word for opened ear, that it is a representative word also for the whole body. But we can tell that in the context in Psalms, Psalm 40, that it is to be understood for what it is on face value that God has provided to David an open ear. And then when we get to the New Testament, that when Jesus is proclaiming the same psalm as he comes into the dark world to save this sinful world, he is saying that you have given me a body. And we know that he is clearly talking about his incarnate human body. God, man, in the flesh, because we see there in verse 10 that and by the will, by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. It is causing our understanding of the psalm to explode. We are seeing that not only David was pointing to Jesus, that this becomes Jesus here, and that this open ear is merging with the idea of Jesus' very own sacrificial body. And then thirdly, we have this thing that probably most people will overlook, even if they're reading out of Psalm 40 or in Hebrews 10. It says, Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, that is written of me in the scroll of the book. I'm just curious. I wasn't going to ask any questions today so we can be on time, but we're doing really well on time. So I want to ask, does anybody know what that particular passage is referencing when it says, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book? If you go to Psalm 40, it's not going to tell you that right off bat. Now, if you have a a Bible, a study Bible, it it probably will. Don't look at your study notes right now. That'd be cheap. If you don't know, don't do that. (laughs) Because it might be down there. Does anybody know what it is referencing when it says that, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Now, you could say, well, that's just the whole Old Testament. And you would be right. But there is actually a particular part of the Old Testament that that is referencing both for Jesus and for David. Does anybody know? Blessing 
not a bad, not a bad guess, but not that's not what most um, scholars think. You know, and I think the scholars are right, but you're, you're on. You have a hint in what you said to be true. Deuteronomy, very good. Yeah, well, we, we talked about this actually in our men's study um, when we were going through Samuel. I think we referenced this a little bit. Uh, for some reason, I think this, I uh, recall that particular. But in Deuteronomy 17, there is the commands for the king. So it's a command for the chapter is an interesting chapter because in Deuteronomy 17, the first part of Deuteronomy 17 is actually a continuation of declaring the things that are forbidden in worship. It's talking about not mixing his worship with man's ideas and not mixing his worship with false gods. And it's actually talking about the punishment for those who would worship after false gods. And so there's a very much a, a law component of, of focusing on God's worship. And then it transitions to talking about both worship and also illegal activity and how during those kind of proceedings where they're having to deal with people that are the people of Israel who are doing illegal activity and they have to deal with that, they are to go both to the priest and to the judge to find out what they're supposed to do about punishing these particular illegal activities. And so as it's talking about worship and then it's talking about the civil element of how to deal with illegal activity, then as it closes, it is a prescription or a declaration and instruction to how kings should live their life and how they should refrain from taking on great possessions and chariots and things and wives and to be haughty and to think of themselves as higher than their brothers and how they are to be focused on God's justice and on the law and have their hearts mended to God's law and truth. It's a bit of a, the two bookends are basically starting out talking about sacrifice in the first part of Deuteronomy 17 and how there cannot be a blemished sacrifice, but then there is this proclamation for the reign of a king over God's people and not only for the king, but for his children. It's a pretty amazing book to read or chapter to read in light of the book of Hebrews and in light of the declaration of Jesus Christ and the revelation of Jesus Christ, I encourage you to go back and, and look at that. And so here we have the writer of Hebrews, as we're talking a lot about sacrifices and offerings, that he is wanting to highlight very clearly that God does not delight and have pleasure in the blood of sacrifices. And you, you could easily try to think that that must be very mind-boggling for some people. Even today, as if you read the Old Testament, you think, well, it's full of blood. <laughs> There's so much blood in the Old Testament. And God's the one who's requiring it. Doesn't that seem a little confusing that God would require all of this blood sacrifice and then turn around and say that he gets no pleasure or delight in it? Well, hold on to that thought just for a few minutes. 
Because I think one of the ways as we think about what pleases God and what desire God has, what ultimately makes him pleased, as we already know in a little bit of a hint in today's passages, we know that is Jesus. But as we go and we probe deeper into that, I want to highlight maybe for us to posture ourselves and think about what is it that pleases us? What are we looking for? What is mankind ultimately seeking pleasure in? Forbes magazine writer Kathy Caprino a few years back did a survey and sent out this question asking, if you could say in one word what you want more in life, what would it be? What one thing? Now, here we are in church on a Sunday morning, and we've been talking a lot about Jesus, and we would be all very um, pious and good Christians if we said, oh, we just want Jesus, right? That would be the right answer, but ponder your hearts a little bit more deeply, (laughs) and maybe be a little bit more honest and open. What is it that you really want? If you could think of one word to describe what you want more in life, what would that be? Well, the response to her survey, she had the top eight things, the top eight one words that out of about a thousand people, I think eventually, that these were the things that were the most common and she put them in order. She put not only the one word answer, but also she asked the question, what is the biggest challenge to achieving that one thing? The number one answer was happiness. Now, pay attention to these biggest challenges and how it describes what's really going on in the mind of people. The biggest challenge on achieving happiness could have been summarized as not knowing what I want to do. That was interesting. It says that they, people know that they want happiness, but their biggest challenge on being able to find happiness is to know what I want to do to achieve that happiness. Number two was money. You would expect that that would probably be a common answer in the culture and society. And the biggest challenge, get this, the biggest challenge on being able, the biggest challenge about money is not having enough money or time to accomplish the things I want to do. Now remember, the first problem was trying to have happiness, and their biggest challenge was not knowing what to do, and then they didn't have enough money to do the thing that they're not sure what they're supposed to do. (laughs) So that kind of puts you in a conundrum, right? (laughs) It's like, well, I know I need money, and I know I want to be happy, but I don't know how to get any of that. Number three was freedom. Having the freedom to find my true purpose was the biggest challenge, or being lit up by the day-to-day at work. That they want to have freedom, but they want to have freedom so they can figure out what their true purpose, what it is that they want to do. So they need money to do what they want to do, but they need more freedom So that means you can't spend too much time at work making the money to do the thing you want to do because you need freedom to figure out what you want to do or who you are and what your purpose is. You can see here that this is going to be quite the challenge. (laughs) Number five, joy. The biggest challenge to joy is how to find the right role or position for me now that will bring joy in my work. I didn't make this stuff up. It's very interesting, these answers. Number six, balance. Balancing my need and desire for flexibility while making enough money and having the benefits I want. You can see it's all kind of interwoven together here, what's going on. 
Number seven, fulfillment. Utilizing my potential in the best way possible for myself and for others. And then lastly, confidence. And the biggest challenge with that is feeling like I have something to offer now rather than feeling constantly as if I'm not ready and needing more training and preparation. As you can see that this could be a very frustrating list to try to work out as people are striving to find all of these particular things in their life. And I thought it was good for us to posture ourselves that we are in this place in the human condition of striving to want to figure out these things but not really knowing what to do. And the amazing thing that as we think about the question that I put as the title of the sermon today, what does God delight in? The amazing answer to all of these questions that we have just gone through from this Forbes writer that was a, basically a secular article and survey that really the answer to what is going to bring us that happiness and fulfillment and that purpose and that identity and that general joy is that we need to merge with the things that God delights in. We are his creatures, just as in the order of worship, of the order of worship, in the order of worship and the call to worship this morning, is that we must know that he is God and we are his creatures. We have been made and designed by him, by his will, and for his purposes. So what does God really want? And why all the blood? Is that... Why, does he, why is he so called up in the blood? But then here in Hebrews, we're being proclaimed to and told that he does not take pleasure. That he does not desire blood. He does not desire sacrifices. And we know that there would be the temptation here. And we know that the writer of Hebrews helps us out saying, remember, these things were commanded by God. And so there seems to be a contradiction, but there's not. We're thinking, well, now, yeah, we see now that in the book of Hebrews, we see that Jesus is the answer. We see that it is his body, that it is his sacrifice that he's won. Why didn't God tell them that in the first place? Why didn't, they talk, why didn't he tell them what he really wanted? Why, did he, why was he so cruel to them to have them to do all this blood when that's not really what he wanted? Why didn't he explain that to them? Well, he did. <laughs> he always explained to them what he ultimately wanted. If you look in your pews, I have put more pew Bibles out because we had a bunch of Bibles. And I'm going to go through quickly, and you don't have to flip through all of this, but I'm going to highlight for you that God was very clear in the Old Testament, just by some short verses here and there, of the things that he wants, the things that give him pleasure. 1 Samuel chapter 15, 22. And Samuel said, Has the Lord... As great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. I know Jennifer really likes that particular passage when she's training the children. (laughs) We use that passage a lot. You know, like, children, it's better to obey than it is to sacrifice. But this is going to please the Lord more. Is to obey. He wants obedience. He wants there to be those who are listening to him. Keep that in mind. Let that echo in your ears, the listening. Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. 
You might just want to note these down instead of actually flipping through because I'm going to jump from one to the next. It says, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Here we see highlighted that God wants steadfast love. He is desiring obedience. He's desiring listening. He's desiring steadfast love and the knowledge of God. He desires his knowledge to be known more than sacrifice and burnt offerings. In Micah chapter 6, a very popular passage that we're very familiar with when we see again in verses 6 through 8, where it's talking about, again, burnt offerings and what the Lord will be pleased with. Will he be pleased with a thousand of rams? And then he says, oh man, what is good? What does the, the Lord require of you? I'm sure many of you know the answer to this question. Many of you have memorized Micah 6, 8. It says, but to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. All of these are in contrast to the burnt offerings and sacrifice. God is making clarification as in one hand he is telling them to have burnt offerings and sacrifice. But he's telling them, but what I really want are these particular characteristics. Here we see something that is highlighted very clearly in his word that we are to be walking humbly with your God. You know, that humility is a hard one for us. That humility is a place that's going to require something to happen because we are born and we are conceived in sin and we have this self-centric mindset from the very beginning. Anyone who has children, you know, you don't remember what you were like when you were an infant. But the ones of you who had your, who were your parents, they, they do remember. And you were very self-centered from the very beginning. And that's one of our biggest fights now is we're very self-centered. But for some reason, the lie of this generation is thinking that we can actually do some of these things ourselves. We will take these particular components and we'll say, okay, well, I like this to do justice. I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a hero of justice. And I'm going to be kind to people. And I'm going to love people. But you need to remember that these things are not achievable. If you remember the story that I referenced very recently with the rich young ruler, that the disciples concluded after that conversation, how can anyone be saved if this one man who has it all is not righteous enough to enter into heaven? Martin Lloyd-Jones says that if you think you deserve heaven, take it from me, you're not a Christian. If you're of the mindset to think that you deserve heaven because of something you have done, Martin Lloyd joins us, you're not a Christian, just right off the bat. I mean, it kind of nips that in the bud in a heartbeat. To be a Christian is to realize you don't deserve heaven. That is the first step of the gospel is to repent and to believe that you do not deserve heaven. That walking humbly with your God is so challenging for us. And in Psalm 50, verses 12 through 15, he says, If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. 
and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. He's saying that you think that I need these sacrifices or is, is it you think that I'm drinking this, that I need sustenance from you to provide these things, that, that I who created all things need this blood to sustain me? What I'm really wanting from you is an offering of sacrifice of thanksgiving. See how that humility plays a part? That we would be those who would be thankful to perform our vows, meaning to fulfill our covenant duties and our covenant callings and our covenant identities, that we would be more affixed to understanding who we are according to the definitions of God's covenant than to try to figure out what is it that I want to do or who do I want to be or you know, how do I want to redefine myself. But to go to the Lord and to fulfill those covenant responsibilities that God has called, and then to call upon him. Again, thinking about that humility, that we would be humble enough to call upon the Lord. And then he gives us a very quick grace. He says, I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. Isaiah chapter 1. These are all Old Testament passages, so it will not be confusing that God was confusing the people of the Old Testament. No, he was very clear in verse 11 through 17 of Isaiah 1. It says, What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Now, see, he's not saying who has required of you the blood of bulls and sacrifices. He says, who has required of you of how you have postured yourself coming into my courts, trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. Because when you spread out your hands, this is later on in that same passage, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Now here we may want to accuse God. You say, wait a minute. In that last passage, he says, call out to me. And here he's saying, your prayers, I'm not even listening to your prayers because your hands are full of blood. What we start to see here is that there is a problem. That what God actually takes pleasure in and what he actually delights in, we are not able to provide for him that even as we are trying to obey him, even as we're trying to worship him according to how he's telling us to worship him, and even as we come to him with our prayers, that there is a problem. We have blood on our hands. There has to be something to fix this. And continuing in that passage in Isaiah 1, it says, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds. From before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead to the widow's cause. These are our things that we are called to be, but we know that we cannot get there. We have to look at the order of what's going on here. We must first be cleansed so that we can learn how to do these good things. We cannot really ultimately do anything worthwhile eternally in seeking justice or correcting oppression and bringing justice to the fatherless and pleading for the widow's cause until we make ourselves clean. But we can't make ourselves clean. We cannot wash ourselves. You know, when you're full of muck, you know, when you're, you know, Jennifer and I were dealing with a situation with, um, we were debating about something, there was a, was a dirty sink this morning, and she didn't like me using that sink. She goes, that sink is dirty. 
And she you know, quit using that particular sink. And so like, well, I had to go, I need the sink to clean. <laughs> you know, if the sink's dirty, then how am I supposed to get myself clean? And then, so I went over to the other sink and then she was like, okay, give me a paper towel. I said, I can't, my hands are dirty from the dirty sink. <laughs> it was like, you're a mess. It was like, we're, we're stuck here. We're at an impasse. We're too dirty to get clean. And that's the way we are in our sin. We can't cling ourselves up. It's just going to make it worse. I hope we can start seeing then what the Lord is actually delighting in and then maybe even seeing the purpose now of all this blood. Jeremiah 7, verse 22 through 24 says, For in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I did not speak to your fathers or command them concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. You might say, yes, he did. But he's not, he's not saying that I never commanded these things. He's saying that that's not what I'm really looking for. Again, he's, it's, it's almost sounding like he's being contradictive as he's trying to explain what he's actually ultimately wanting. He says, but this, I command, this command I gave them, obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people, and walk in the way that I command you, that it may be well with you. He desires that we would walk with him and be obedient so it will be well with us. It, we are to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. He is desiring that we would listen to him. It says, but they did not obey or incline their ear. <laughs> they didn't listen, but walked in their own counsels and their own stubbornness of evil hearts. And they went backward and not forward. God has made it abundantly clear in his word what he really wants. He wants to walk with us. Again, remember Hebrews? What is the whole point? He seeks our fellowship. He seeks to be dwelling amongst us. That has been what he takes pleasure in. That is what he is delighting in. But the problem is, is that we are too dirty and we're too dirty to cleanse ourselves. So in Psalm 51 Language that is parallel to the language that we see in Psalm 40, verses 16 through 17. It says, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offering. This is David speaking to God. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. What a beautiful repentance. Psalm 51, David, the one who wrote Psalm 40, that Jesus made into his own words or already his own words, however you want to look at it. Now we have Psalm 51 that Jesus never owned as his own words in the sense that he ever had a need to repent, but he made it his own words as he is interceding for David and for us. The gospel is here that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, that fullness of humility before God, recognizing our weakness and our sins. And then the gospel is there is that not only is there repentance, it says, oh, God, you will not despise. There will be forgiveness for those who have that broken spirit and that broken and contrite heart. He will forgive. But how can he do this? He's a just God. How can he let people off the hook? He's not. That's what the blood was pointing to. He was not talking about being in the lighting of blood. 
He was not talking about being in delighting of bulls and rams. He was talking about delighting in the one who would come to make that possible so that we can transition from that filth into being clean. In Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8, it says, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Now we can see here that the writer of Hebrews, for some way that we can only say is ultimately by the, the linguist miracle inspiration of God, that he is merging this open ear with the body of Christ. That the body sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross makes a way for our ears to be open. Makes a way for our hearts to be broken. Makes a way for us to be able to have humble posture before the Lord. He is merging this psalm. He is merging this word. He is saving us from our blocked up ears and our hard hearts. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. I delight to do your will. Oh, my God, your law is within my heart. Now, think about this. David here, his conviction of understanding that he is trusting in God's promises and his ultimate pleasure, that God is actually granting this grace of an open ear. And with that granting of grace of an open ear, there is something going on about the kingdom that is going to be putting forth the very law of God into that heart, that once hardened and dead heart. And then if we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 17, and we're not just thinking about the ideas of kings, when we're understanding that this is talking about the king, when we're thinking about that it's not just talking about David, that it's ultimately talking about Jesus, let us read, read verses 18 through 20 of Deuteronomy 17. It says, when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of the law approved by the Levitical priest. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and the statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and His children, he and his children. We know that 10 chapters later in Psalms and Psalm 50, or 11 chapters in Psalm 51, that David is repenting of his sin of of being with Bathsheba and killing her husband. We know that David is not going to be able to fulfill this commandment for kingdom. But we know that Jesus has now made this psalm his psalm. And he is saying that I have come and you have prepared for me this body. It's not burnt offering and sacrifice that you want. You want me. I am what will bring you delight and pleasure. My sacrifice. My unblemished sacrifice. The only unblemished sacrifice that will please the Lord. 
And then he says, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He has come to fulfill Deuteronomy chapter 17. As it is written of me in the scroll of the book. And so he does away with the sacrifices of bulls and goats. Because his body is the sacrifice that will please the father. And then now we, his children, verse 10 of Hebrews chapter 10. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. We are his children. We are in his kingdom. He is reigning and sitting at the right hand right now. Reigning as king. And we are being sanctified. Our hearts, even now, I pray, that as we are going through his word, and I know that was a lot of passages, but as we go through his word, I pray that these words are being written in our hearts for those who have repented and believed, for those of who have open ears. And are trusting after Jesus Christ. It is that act of obedience to this proclamation. Jesus came in obedience with his body to fulfill the requirement of sacrifice. And now Jesus has come to fulfill in obedience his reign as king. The king that was proclaimed in Deuteronomy 17 that no king could accomplish other than Jesus Christ. Jay Gresham's Machen's last words on January 1st, 1937, before he died, he dictated his final words in a telegram to a colleague, John Murray at Westminster. He says, I am so thankful for the active obedience of Christ. No hope without it. That is our only hope. Is his act of obedience to those things. That is why the writer of Hebrews is highlighting this. That it had to be Jesus. It had to be his body. It had to be his kingdom. And even now, for us to even get this, his act of obedience is necessary. So now when we go to Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, and we're being told to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and and to work for his good pleasure, we learn that what pleases God is his son and the work of his son and the life of his son and the character of his son to be filled in us. That it would be in us that the things that make us happy, the things that would bring us joy, the things that would bring us identity, would be Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word.